Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey everybody, welcome to the newest episode of Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with Michael Schwartz, my troublesome partner in crime when I visit Miami. Michael, it is a pleasure to have you as always, to be able to catch up. What's going on? Thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. You know, living the life here in sunny South Florida, you know, as you know, um, um, it's um, an interesting state. Um, and without getting too political, it's really benefited us in our ability to bounce back and reopen uh, and, and operate really, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of strange because in a lot of ways we felt like as a, as a, you know, socially responsible organization that we had to self-regulate, uh, meaning we had to decide about mass policies for our staff and our guests and, you know, and so it's been interesting, but it's been great. Uh, and, uh, you know, I love Florida. I know you've been, so I want to kind of how let's let's start with the beginnings like you're a Philly boy so how did you what made that jump you're like you had one frigid cold winter in Philly and said fuck it I'm going we have many many (laughs) yeah you know I moved here from New York and so it's coming on 27 it's almost 28 years ago uh you know and I left Philly in my 20s spent some time in, in, in California and then New York and then Colorado and then back in New York and landed here from New York. Um, I met, you know, my, my future, who is now my ex-partner um, in New York. And we, we were like, all right, let's open a restaurant. So we were looking around New York and he had a place in the Hamptons and we started coming to, to Miami. He went to school in Miami. And then Miami in the early 90s was like, it was pretty happening. Shit was happening in South Beach. And so, I mean, that was the height of Miami Vice. Let's put that in. That's right. That's right. You know, and so I was, you know, I was living in Miami Vice, like, no. But 94, um, I moved down here and opened my first restaurant in 1995, Nemo, uh, and made a home for myself in Miami. You know, I, I didn't ever plan on living in Miami. But when I started to visit, um, not only was it exciting because it was really just starting to pop onto the scene, but I felt like there was a huge niche for sort of more, I don't know, legitimate dining instead of just sort of trendy, clubby party spaces. So, you know, found myself in Miami and, and, and didn't look back, you know, so talk about Nemo a little bit, because a lot of people know you through Michael's Genuine, right? Right. And not a lot of people know the history behind Nemo, so. Yeah. Well, you know, Nemo for me, much like Michael's Genuine became, was a, just a way to express what I thought was cool or interesting or in an environment that I wanted to be in and food that I wanted to eat. And so, you know, and like I said, it was right at a time when all of the popular restaurants were super trendy, clubby. We call them now clubstrants. And there's plenty of them. Miami is the home of the clubstrant. But, you know, we wanted to differentiate ourselves. So, you know, and it's interesting because there was a lot of compromise. My partner was more of a clubstrant guy, right? And uh, although he was sort of new into the restaurant scene, uh, and I wanted it to be more legitimate. So we sort of figured a way to, to, to ride that line. And, you know, um, even from a decision to play jazz music instead of, you know, trendy music was a big, was a big departure for the restaurant scene in Miami. And, and so Nemo opened and it was, and it was, um, how would I describe Nemo? I, I mean, it was multicultural, very simple, small kitchen, big, dining room, lots of seats. So it forced us to create food that was scalable, right? Things that we could execute on, but that really spoke to how I wanted to eat, which a lot of times is, you know, do something cool with a protein, pair it with some room temperature 
or cold, uh, you know, salady type thing and put a sauce on it, no fussy plating. Um, and that it really started that contrast for me. My trademark is food that has contrasting flavors, textures, temperatures, um, and colors. So Nemo was the springboard for that. And, you know, it was, there were no guardrails. We could do whatever. We had a wok, so we did wok station stuff. We did touched on some French and Italian, made pasta. Um, it was a little bit of everything. So right now you're in the midst, and you and I have talked about this, and I've been kind of watching, and we talked about it prior to it starting, but you're right now in the midst of a complete reno of yeah. Michael's Genuine. And I yeah. mean, that's really... I can't go to Miami without having a meal at Michael's Genuine. I do not feel like I'm in Miami if yeah. I come and see you. And, and that's the catalyst for me. Like if I'm going to Miami, it's like, okay, if, if I could see Michael, I'm going. If I can't see Michael, I don't want to go. And I know nice. it sounds shitty to say that to a lot of other folks. Nah, that's great. I love that, you for that. It's, you it's know, always think, fun. And you're still- Well, the interesting thing, oh. so I'll tell you. So we're, we're, we, Michael's Genuine will be 15 in March. And, um, and it, you know, it was tired. The restaurant itself physically uh, needed a, a redo. And so it turned into a pretty much a massive renovation. We took over a little bit more square footage. We extended the dining room. We, we, we made the kitchen bigger. And um, it's been interesting not being open. Personally, as a consumer of Michael's Genuine, I miss it. I miss going there. I miss the vibe. I miss the food. I miss the hang. Uh, and that's what we hear from a lot of people. It will be when, when we get open, God willing, in the, by the end of November, it'll be four months closed. And uh, people, you know, it's sort of like people had to change the way they behaved in terms of dining, particularly the regulars. And we have regulars that come three or four or five times a year. But it was interesting to hear you say that because it, it really, to a lot of people, it's their go-to restaurant, but I would never say that it's a quintessential Miami restaurant. In fact, that's what made it appealing to most people that moved here from somewhere else. Like we would always hear, oh, it feels like New York. It feels like Chicago. It feels like San Francisco. It feels like, feels like anywhere but Miami. And, and in the beginning, we really didn't celebrate um, sort of Miami. You know, we never dabbled in the in the uh, Floribian sort of Norman Van Aken. The mango uh, game. Yeah, yeah, we, I didn't really, it took me a long time to embrace um, really essentially what makes Miami what it is and that diversity and tropical fruits and, and different uh, ways to think about food. So, um, but, so it's interesting when I hear people say it's the, you know, it's my go-to Miami spot when it's not really like, uh, you know, you know, it's compared to Amara for me, which is the quintessential Miami restaurants where you go, you're on the water, there's palm trees, you're sipping a drink out of a coconut. That sounds like Miami to me. Uh, Genuine's more of like, a, I would say, a urban restaurant. Uh, and so we're excited, man. We're, we, we, it's been a really interesting process. And so I'll say, Thankfully, we were in a position, a good position to A, do the renovation, which was supposed to happen last year and then the pandemic happened, but B, to do it in a way that I think will give us a huge advantage in reopening. And what I mean by that is we were able to retain our entire staff, right? So everyone knows that there's a huge shortage of workforce right now. So we didn't want to let any of our staff go. A lot of them have been there five, six, seven, eight, ten years um, in fear of not being able to get them back. So we were able to retain them all, deploy them in other restaurants, our restaurants that are short staffed anyway, but simultaneously be able to create focus groups and breakout sessions and really deep development into new menu items, new SOPs, uniforms, service standards, beverage program, wine list, wares, what you touch, what you see, what you feel, what you smell. So it's been a, it's been a fun process. And, and I feel like, you know, I've opened a lot of restaurants, so have you, 
I can't say that I've ever opened one with a veteran team that understands the culture and the mission and just the, and the, the clientele and each other. So it's been fun. We have sessions here at my house, culinary, we get around the table, we taste food, we talk about the philosophy of what we want uh, Michael's Genuine 2.0 to be. So, um, but you know, if you would ask me 18 months ago, you know, what, what's the future of Michael's Genuine or any of our restaurants? I'd be like, shit, I don't know, probably no future. So to go from that to being able to do this massive renovation, renovation which is costing us you know, a small fortune, probably triple what it cost to build the restaurant 15 years ago um, and, and reopen. It's exciting. So I'm super pumped up about it. So Michael's, you, you know, you started with Nemo, then came Michael's Genuine. And now you've, you've really deviled in or like jumped <laughs> into different areas, right? And I think that's what's yeah. really fun. And I think there's a lot of young culinarians out there who have these aspirations of having multiple restaurants of doing all these different things and it's i keep trying to inform and tell them that like it just doesn't happen overnight right yeah this is a there's, long, no, there's no pill you can't just take pill can't take the magic pill you're not you're not you know you're not in the matrix you just don't take <laughs> a pill and you all of a sudden have all these restaurants and all this knowledge and i think you know like you said you mentioned amara you know i mean with success comes failure Right. Oh, plenty of failure. I can I can talk a whole, you know, a whole hour on that. But I, I will say, you know, you're like me. You're not as old as me, but you're you're an old soul. Pretty close. You've been around really close for man. a while. Really I don't close. Know. But but um but I would say that when we were coming up, you know, like cooking wasn't a, a, a glamorous profession. We did it because we loved it and we were passionate about it. Then the whole TV era came, right? And then there was a new reason for young people to be interested in that business. But I never, like, when I opened Michael's Genuine 15 years ago, um, it wasn't like I'm opening a brand. I'm creating a brand and I'm going to do a bunch of offshoots of it. I'm going to license my name and do other rest. None of that. And so, and I think that that, played into my favor, right? Because sort of if you take your eye off of the prize, what's right in front of you and start thinking about the next thing before you even have this one dialed in or open or running profitably or where you want it to be. And you're already thinking about the next restaurant, right? Or the next deal, or then that's when I think you get into trouble. So I would say, you know, to young people that want to get into this business, like do the work, put the work in, go work in a restaurant, you know, work every station, work every position, and then tell me, you know, come back in a year and say, yeah, I, I still want to do this. You know, and I, people, you probably get this all the time. People want to pick my brain, right? People that either are in the business that want to be more successful or people that aren't in the business that want to change uh, professions. And I'm, and, and to me, it's pretty apparent. Like when someone's, engaged and ready to do the work you know those are the people that are going to be successful as opposed to the people that just think that it's what they want to do without really knowing and you know i mean it's a shit business hard business easier ways to make money uh you know the buzzword now is work-life balance sure how's that how, how's that going for anyone that's successful in this business so you know if you can clear the pathway and put the work in and laser focus on one thing, your career, your profession, your craft, then you'll, you'll be successful. And if you're worried about work-life balance, then go be a banker. It's pretty interesting, you know, because that, that is the buzz life right now, right? That's the buzzword, like life, work, yeah. balance. I, I think about, you know, our, you know, growing up in this industry and it was like, you want Christmas Eve off? Yeah, don't come back. Uh, the day. Yeah, what? What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I need uh, paid. I need uh, maternity leave. Uh, you know, for my wife, I need two weeks. Of, like, so uh, look, uh, and I laugh about it. We can laugh about it. And I get it. Like that's important, important that it happens, but it's also we didn't. We don't under. Part of it is that we never had that. We never understood it, and we want to find a compromise in between to make everybody happy. 
Well, look, it's easy to look back and say, this is how I did it and I would do it that way again. But you know, there's collateral damage along the way when you're singularly focused on your career, especially if you have a wife or kids or you know, family or other obligations that might require you know, a little bit of your brain space and you don't have it. But, it, but for me, probably for you at the time, I didn't care. I, I, I was enjoying uh, being fully immersed in my craft and my business. And, uh, and so I guess now's the time to go back and, and look for that work-life balance. But, you know, for me, it's 40 years later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can say from personal experience that I've spent more time with my family during the pandemic than I did the 10 years prior. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, puts things in perspective and, and, you know, aligns your priorities in a way that I think is more healthy now. But, um, you know, I think about, I read articles about restaurant groups trying a four-day work week. And I'm thinking, all right, that sounds great. But how does that work? You know, how do you run a restaurant and you're only there four days a week? I, I don't know. Maybe you could. A bunch of process and systems and meetings and, you know, you dial up a process and I guess you can manage it. But for me, it was just about, you know, pushing the rock up the hill myself. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, a lot of us feel like we felt like Sisyphus as we were doing it, right? It's like <laughs> you're pushing the boulder up the hill and you're like, oh, shit, I forgot to wear shoes. This when I decided to do this process, it takes a exactly. <laughs> that's a good that's a good analogy. Shit. Can I can you just plan it here for a minute so I can go change and put some shoes on? Maybe get <laughs> You know, maybe get a crowbar or some leverage. I put a wedge in this rock for a minute to just hold it here for a second so I can yep. take, a take a time out. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> talk a little bit about how you started, you know, doing the different concepts. So you have Amara. I mean, you, yeah. you wrote. I'll, I'll go through the chronology. Uh, yeah, that's like, a good book. This is a great book. Like how right. like, the process of going from opening the pizzeria to doing this, which I know is no easy task. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's an interesting process for me. I'll just, I'll, I'll start like chronologically with open Mike, opening Michael's genuine, which had success. Then it had national acclaim. Uh, and that really opened up the door for opportunity for me. Now I wasn't a new on the scene chef, but it was a emergence of me in that restaurant um, and, and I think the first big breakthrough of that restaurant was, um, was the New York Times piece that came out when Frank Bruni was the, um, the food critic. And it was like a roundup of the 10 best new restaurants uh, outside of New York. And it was a four week um, piece. So it was like the gift that kept on giving. And we came in, I think at number three. And so each week he would do a few, but the list would be there. And that really catapulted us. Um, how was that tsunami of guests? How, was, how did that feel? With the, it was, it was great. You know, I mean, guys we, are, we handled it. How many flights a day come from New York? With, with all, yeah, exactly. They got the, they got the no, article like this at the front door. Hi, I'm yeah. here for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. And then so that started the national dialogue. For me, it was the Beard Award in 2010, which seems like, well, it's 11 years ago, but that created opportunity. And then we started doing things. So the first thing I did was license a Michael's Genuine Food and Drink in Grand Cayman. And it was interesting. It lasted five years. It got me more exposure. But from then, it, then just things happened. You know, a book deal came. So I did the first book and then other opportunities. We opened the first Harry's, I think, I'm going to say 10 years ago. Um, and then opportunity, you know, and the stuff that you work your whole life to, to have started happening. It didn't happen overnight. It wasn't a pill. It wasn't like a quick thing. It was years and years of work that culminated in this opportunity to do other stuff. And, and so I capitalized on it. And a lot of times, it wasn't like strategic planning. It was just reacting to opportunities, which is fine. It's not the best growth strategy. You know, it's not like sitting down at a table with your business partner and saying, all right, what do we want to be in two, three years? 
let's map out a plan and then let's execute on the plan. That's what we do now. Then it was like, I don't know, I got this opportunity to open restaurants on cruise ships. Sure, let's do it. Usually like going around like a ping, like a pinball doing this and then you're doing that and you're working on a book and then you got the photo shoot for the book and then you're on a cruise ship and then you're in Grand Cayman and then let's open six pizzerias. So, you know, the bad planning, I think, culminated in us opening too many restaurants too quick uh, and then failing, you know. And so I remember there was a two year period where we opened six restaurants and and so and they were supposed to be spread out. So you can imagine that's a lot six restaurants, two years, if you spread it out every couple months, but it doesn't work like that. Both years, we would, all three restaurants just got jammed up together and we sucked. We, you know, we didn't prepare properly. We didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have the, the knowledge uh, to scale and, you know, it bit us in the ass. So heading into the pandemic, I think not only was the restaurant industry sort of broke for so many reasons, but our company was just a piece of shit. Huge debt, some failures, some good revenue streams, but top heavy uh, with, with personnel. And, you know, uh, and so in a lot of ways, I always say, and I'm reluctant to say it because it wasn't the case for everybody, but the pandemic saved our business um, and made us refocus and trim off the shit that we knew wasn't gonna be uh, fruitful anyway. And, uh, and reset, push the reset button. And that's what we did. We fought through it. And thankfully, you know, I have a brilliant business partner that uh, is a, is, you know, comes from corporate America and is in, in extremely intelligent and, and sort of got his arms around the business. And we reshaped it, reformed it. And we asked people to do more for less, like everyone did. Uh, and I think that, so we came out and I, I'm reluctant to say came out the other side because it's just shit still going on, but uh, we're almost out the other side in a much better position. So it's interesting. But I think that's, you know, it's really one, thank you for being honest because a lot of people, as you well know, I mean, and that's the relationship you and I have had and have always had, we've always been fully transparent with each other. But I think, I think that there's not enough of that out there and the truth right it's like yeah. really hard for people to choke down the fact that like you know you did what what happened you're admitting that shit went pear-shaped like and i lost two you know two restaurants did both yeah pandemic you know i you know i think owning up to making mistakes not only helps you grow as a human but also helps you give back to i mean we all you know we all have our failures you know it's funny because usually you admit something when it serves your purpose right like you tell the truth if there's a you know if there's a reason behind why you're going to do that and i'm guilty of that as well but you know what i learned is like if you just be honest right eventually you're going to have to fess up anyway i just try to remember like when i was a kid and the lie would escalate into a bigger lie and then eventually you're just going to get busted so just tell the truth but, you know, I, but I am reluctant to, to point that out. Like the pandemic, not because we got free money or we got money that we didn't deserve or any of that. It's just that the whole series of events made us refocus and decide what was important. And, um, and I think that everyone felt that. We closed a few restaurants. We opened a new one. We're renovating Michael's Genuine. At the end of the day, will be better, better company, you know, um, but it's still happening. It's still going on. We're still trying to navigate through some of this stuff and figure it out. But, but we're, I think we're, we're in a pretty good position, especially now going into winter for us, we expect to have a monster season where people are traveling again and, you know, Miami's the place to be in the winter. So well, I guess we'll see, but you know, I, I'll never forget and always assume that something else is going to happen. You know, I mean, can you imagine like if two years ago I said, Hey, uh, there's going to be this thing and we're all going to have to shut our businesses down for a year. You'd be like, yeah, what? 
I yeah, can't even smoking, Michael. <laughs> can't even imagine what that is. Like yeah. in the beginning, we thought it was going to be a couple of weeks, right? I mean, yeah, we'll shut down for a few weeks, which is hard enough anyway. Um, that lasted, you know, felt like forever. So where I so in this process, and let's talk about the menu redevelopment of what you're doing there, because I think that's really, yeah. really fun. Like mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I get tidbits of it. I'm watching when you guys are doing tasting things. And no, you don't get tidbits. You get me asking you questions so I could steal your shit. It's awesome. <laughs> that's a I'm different. Like, I, gotta hit, I, gotta I wasn't even going to talk about that. You can. That's on you. Whatever. No. I, man. I think that's the best part. Look, to me, our industry is really special in that we are able to miss, like not even miss a beat, right? It's like, I may not see you, you know, I don't see you enough, right? Like, cause I'm on the other end of the <laughs> other end of the country, but it, it never misses a beat. And I think we have that during the pandemic, we were talking all the time. And there's definitely that camaraderie from our business that creates sharing, you know, help when needed it's almost like yeah. everybody knows there's like a core bunch of people out there who know when something's going a little pear shape with somebody else and all of a sudden okay. phone blips right like it yep. happens all the time and i think that's what makes what we do special there's like this bond in our industry and i think that watching from afar and i've seen a bunch of the videos and you know i think today's a birthday right who you got birthday boy today yeah brad brad's birthday today right like magic yep. brad so oh, man. he's, it's really great to see. And, you know, I remember meeting Brad for the first time many years ago, right? Oh yeah. And yeah. we watched him grow up. You know, I would say the, the coolest part, right? There's, there's a lot to unpack. And I, and I just interrupted you because I want to get it out before I forget what the fuck I'm going to say, but, the, but, <clears throat> and I just did. I just totally forgot what I was going to say. That was it right there. You just coughed it out. It came out. Yeah. So I would say the, the silver lining of which there are many with the pandemic is that it definitely brought the restaurant community together, right? You know, with the IRC calls and leadership from certain key prominent uh, culinary figures and otherwise and, and politicians that got on board. I mean, it's definitely created a much tighter knit community, right? Because we're all in it together. And then I would say, as much as social media gets a bad rap, um, for this reason, I love it, is that I can feel connected. I see what you're doing, see what I'm doing. I feel like we're in touch, even if we don't text or call or hang out, right? And so I love that. Um, and, and, you know, I, and it's a double-edged sword. I try not to share too much on social media uh, or, or try to make my life look so, you know, amazing and perfect, because it's not, like there's shit. Um, but the process, so to your, the, the question is about the process of, 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 you know, menu planning for the new restaurant has been great because like I said, we, we had the luxury of having a team. And so at Michael's Genuine, we have a young chef of cuisine, his name's Dylan Wolf started as a culinary intern out of Johnson and Wales. And he's a young kid. And this time has allowed us to spend time together as a group, sometimes here in my apartment or at the commissary or at a restaurant or on a R&D trip to New York where we eat and drink and talk shit about other people. Rip off and development. It's a rip off. Oh, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, rip or off and, and duplicate. Uh, so, you know, I, I think like, my role now is to mentor these guys, right? And and we, I watch Brad essentially grow up. He's been 12 years now in the company, maybe 13. And he was a line cook with a mohawk and now he's uh, the director of culinary for all the restaurants. And, and is not only a talented cook, but is always thinking about the next thing, how to save money with vendors, how to put a spreadsheet together to analyze costs, like how to direct his people better. And so, the, so I mean, that all culminated into these sessions that we do at this, at this apartment where we get together and everyone cooks, we taste, we talk, uh, and we compare, you know, and it's been eye-opening because a lot, a lot of times I feel like chefs are lazy, 
right? And I say that and everyone's eyes go like, what are you talking about? Chef's not lazy. What I mean by that is as chefs, we want to place our orders, put the thing down, have the food come, know that it's going to be great so that we can keep going. And a lot of times what we do is we shop based on price because we got to keep our cogs down. We shop for convenience. And oftentimes that leads us to the product that's not even close to being the best. So what we did was I just, we identified a list of products and we wanted to taste them against other products, right? So like sardines or anchovies, right? Like what's the difference between a rolling can of anchovies that come filleted, packed in oil, or the salt packed whole anchovies that you got to open, peel, rinse, and marinate. And the difference is, as you know, huge. So we did it with a bunch of vinegars and sardines and anchovies and local bread bakers and red wine vinegar. And, and, and that process allowed us, me, to really hammer home to the kids, the young cooks, the importance of sourcing better product. And I think it's easier for you guys out in California than it is for us. I know it is, uh, but it's the same problem everywhere. You know, the, the convenience factor often gets in the way of sourcing a better product that makes the food taste better, right? And to talk like, to that for one second, sorry to interrupt, Michael. And I think one, no, go. one really, really important part is it may, and it's exactly what you're talking about. Let's just use, for example, that salt-packed anchovy, right? Instead of getting them pre-filleted, you're actually going to use less of it than yep. you would of using the Roland. In the yeah. case, sorry, Roland, I just blew an opportunity. <laughs> We're throwing yeah, right. something under the bus. But it's not about the maker of the product. It's about the quality. And you find that you end up using less of the ingredient, which equals out to be the same cost, whether it's the vinegar, whether it's the, the product. And then you have byproducts that you can then turn into money, which is the salt, which you can then dry and season meat, which, which is adding umami. So hey, let me write that down. The bones, got to use the bones. <laughs> you know, I'm going to hit you up, make but our own. I, I think that that really is what people forget. They look at the instant cost on your, on your, on your P&L statement or your, your recipe costing when you're gram costing it out. And they don't realize that you're using less of that ingredient. Well, also to stay on the anchovy thing is like the whole process of cleaning the anchovies and rinsing them and repacking them in better olive oil. To me, that's a time where you're reflecting on the anchovy. And I know that might sound stupid to some people, but for me, that therapy, that, 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 that act of cleaning those anchovies and standing there, right? Not that I'm going to do it because some prep guy is going to do it, but we're going to get them in. And, and someone's going to think about the freaking anchovies while they have to peel them and rinse them and repack them back in salt. And so, yeah, you use less. I always say, like, the secret to good food is good food. So if you buy a good product and you don't fuck it up and you don't overcomplicate it, you're good. So why not spend the time sourcing better product that makes better food, it makes your job easier, it makes you look better. Uh, and and uh, it's a no-brainer. But, to, but it's not a no-brainer to young cooks and chefs that, that don't understand that. So, hey, I got this, you know, I got this from a reputable vendor. Well, it sucks. See if they have a better one, you know? <laughs> like, can't just say, all right, I need, a, you know, I need a whatever and expect it to be the best quality. So, well, that's the thing. I mean, I recall when we were there, when I was there last, um, you guys were doing a beef tasting. And yes. you had, if I correctly, you had like eight different purveyors of one particular steak laid out. And yeah, was, I think it was in New York. It was, it was actually a really fun thing because Brad's like, get in here. I want you to, let's try this. Hey, but you know, sometimes what we learn too is sometimes the most expensive one's not the best one. Yeah. And that's a, that's a win-win, right? Find the product that Cisco sells that is better than the most expensive one. And we know when to use that stuff, when it's important, when it's not important. So that's been like a fun process for me. And, and I think that it's been, it's been able to help me get the message through to the, the, the whole team, not just the cooks or the chefs, but the managers and the servers. So 
we're doing a bunch of educational seminars leading up to opening with farmers like Ron Joyce, who raises the Poulet Rouge uh, birds or Island Creek guys going to come down and talk about how they harvest, you know, and grow oysters and grow your own oyster. What's that? Are you going to make your own? Are you going to develop your own oyster? No, I'm going to use Paul's oyster. Paul oh, Conn's got oyster. one. Yeah, it's like some little tum tumblican or something. Oh, so I mean, I might. I love those guys up in Island Creek. We were oh, up there. Incredible, incredible product. Yeah, and, you know, back in my my old neck of the woods of New England, making great, great products. Yeah, doing it right. Yeah. So right now in this process of development you guys you take a you take a look at a menu and then are you like okay let's relay out relay out the whole thing what are we putting here what are we going to put yeah. there do you how do you do huh how do you do that i take a menu that i existingly have i probably have one in there and i just write all over it right yeah and old like, school it has it's to so start for me with that like i have to have a physical piece of paper and um I know that people that I work with hate that because if I don't yeah. have a physical paper. Yeah, I want to mark that shit up with pen, give it to somebody to, to format. It's interesting because so in developing the new menu, we wanted to include a bunch of the classic dishes from Michael's Genuine. And, you know, over the years, the menu has changed so many times. A lot of those fell off and then sometimes they come back. But we wanted to create new stuff, too. And then the problem that you always face is that then the menu becomes too big, right? And which it is right now. Um, but when we opened, um, I had this idea about how I wanted the menu to be formatted based on how I wanted people to eat. And I always love eating family style, but I hate when restaurants tell you that's how you're gonna eat, right? Even though I wanna eat that way anyway, I just don't wanna be told what to do. Order three to five dishes, it'll come out as red, blah, 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 right? Um, so. We created a menu categorized, you know, we did a bunch of snacks, which I think are important for people when they come, they're settling in, they're getting cocktails. And then there was small, medium, large, extra large in size. And those categories meant there was more variety in different portions that you could sort of graze through the menu and share. Or if you just wanted your own shit, you could order a small and a large, and that's an appetizer and an entree and don't touch my shit. But so during the renovation, we've been thinking a lot about menu engineering, you know, and this is a big business, right? People analyze your menu, tell you where to put shit that would make things sell uh, higher margin items, lower margin items and dogs. And they, you know, they categorize all this stuff. So we engaged a company that's going to take our menu template and make suggestions based on the history, what we want to do and what we want to accomplish. And it, it has been an interesting process. We, we don't know what the results are yet. Our, our fallback format is our old format, right? Um, but I'm interested to see what a company that analyzes this stuff, right, um, is gonna come back with. And it could be a piece of shit, but who knows? You know, but for us, like we print the menu every day. And so the menu's got to be paper that will fit in our printer and a size that's not too big. And so the things that we learned over the years, I think, are, are important to us. But they might just say, you know, here, we just totally turned your shit upside down. Try this. I don't know if we're going to try it or not, but the process has been fun. And then the content, you know, the content's got to check all the boxes. So, uh, Station allocation based on your kitchen configuration, right? You can't overload one station. You got to have an, uh, enough cold stuff to complement hot stuff and proteins to complement fish and vegetables. And like, it's a whole freaking matrix, right? And that's been fun because we're, we're leading into more vegetables, getting back to some more porky things, which I think we got away from over the years um, and just having fun. You know, we're at the point right now where we're taking the menu, which we think is the dinner menu, which we think is pretty close to being finalized, and now plugging it into the kitchen stations to see if it'll work. Uh, and then you still don't know if it's going to work because you don't know what the, the, the heavy hitting, heavy moving items are going to be. So it's a constant tweak. 
but I'll send you the menu. I'm proud of it. It's got a lot of the old shit. It's got some cool new stuff. We'll see. So when you look at this redevelopment of the menu and stuff, and did you speak to your guests and ask them what they missed most? Did you, did you have that input? Yeah, we did some of that stuff. Uh, we did it before we closed and we're constantly getting feedback from obviously from guests, but including the servers into that. So we brought for this menu engineering exercise, we brought in uh, servers into the conversation uh, to see how, you know, how their guests felt navigating through the menu, which is sometimes hard. Like our menu's big, especially the dinner menu. And the consensus was that when you got halfway through it, you got menu fatigue, right? And that's why the larges and extra larges lagged in sales, right? Um, because it is not, the menu is not self-explanatory. You need a spiel from a server. And if they're weeded, are they getting the spiel? Are the people understanding it? Or are they just like, I don't know what to fucking order. So, so we did use guest feedback through the servers. Uh, and that's been invaluable. And we've done that for a lot of things, you know, the, 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 the environmental things, things that you hear and see and uniforms and flow and all that shit. See, I think that's really important because a lot of times people forget that the guest is ultimately what keeps us open and making them happy. Yeah. And there has to be that balance, right, of, of keeping that fun level for your team high by being yeah. able to push and create and develop flavor profiles, but also at the same time, keeping your guests happy with giving them something that they may be super familiar with and want yeah. to see or get them excited enough to step out of their comfort zone and try something new. Yeah, that's the trick right there. You said it perfectly and that's true. Like you don't wanna just give them what they want, but you don't wanna alienate them either. And I always felt like if there was enough things on the menu that made them comfortable, right? You're reading a menu. Oh, I know that. There becomes a comfort level that then might allow them to break outside of their comfort zone and order something that they might not normally get, right? But if your whole menu is just a bunch of esoteric words that nobody fucking understands, and Psalms do this a lot, wine directors create these wine lists that you can't find one damn thing that you recognize. And it doesn't mean the wines aren't good. It just means that if I don't have a psalm next to me and people, some people aren't even comfortable with that. Like, then I don't know what to drink. And if I ask the waiter and he doesn't know, then I'm just going to get a glass of wine and call it a day. So menu, you know, the menu engineering conversation, I think is fascinating. And, and it's not a science for me, but I do know that I know more than most people will, will, will ever know about this stuff intuitively, just because I've been doing it for a long time. So it was interesting, like when we engaged this company, we all got on a call and, and they're like, all right, well, tell us about the history of your menu. And it was interesting, even to me, I started talking about it and it was super informative for, for everyone on the call, not just the people that we engaged to do this exercise. So that's the other thing, like we institutionally have all this knowledge that we just assume everyone knows and understands and they don't. And when they do, it makes them better at their job or it makes them better guests. It's sort of like when you like get to meet a winemaker, then you know why you like that wine better. Or someone like Skip from Island Creek who, who raises you know, the oysters and you learn about it and you're like, oh, okay, I don't mind paying $4 for an oyster. Yeah. I think part of the process, which I think is really interesting is putting your ego aside. And I think that's been a really hard thing for a <laughs> for lot for chefs, for the younger, like step back, put your ego aside and think about also how does your guest eat it? Yeah. It well, that's the other thing. For the guests to eat. So like, for instance, moving forward at all of our restaurants, if I serve a half chicken, I actually debone the drumstick. So it makes a monster thigh because I sat there and watched a date try to share a chicken. Yeah. And of course the date meaning the dude was a complete knob and left her the drumstick to try to eat. And I was like, all right, that was a one, a shit move on his part. And two, I realized that's also my fault because I didn't think about how the guest was eating. And this was something I learned many years ago that I just make sure we do everywhere because one, the thigh looks big, one and two, there's no waste. And three, 
it's so much easier for them to eat. Like, and not only the ease of eating, but how the dish eats as a dish. Yeah. And so we always, I know you do the same thing, encourage the chefs and the cooks to sit down and eat that dish. That's great. You thought all through that shit. Looks great. Each component tastes great. How's the proportion and how does it eat together? And, and that is something that people often overlook. And, and, and it's a shame because there's great intention, thought, process, uh, skill in the craft. And then you get it wrong on the presentation or the proportion and it doesn't sing. And, and it could. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. You, you, you've created something and you forget the most important part, the sitting down eating part. Sitting and eating it down. And I think that's actually something that's really important is having a staff, offering the staff the opportunity to come and sit as guests in the restaurant yep. that they took in on their day off. And they must, sometimes they're just like, oh, I don't want to come in on my day off. I don't want to be in the building. But then when they sit down and they get the experience as to why, you're totally different it changes the perception of expectation, not only from the guest's point, but from the chef's point of why it needs to be this way because they're feeling it on the other side. Yeah, we're creating a program. So that's a great point. And we do offer incentives for, for employees to come and eat, pretty good discount for them and a guest. And we encourage that, and particularly the managers. But what we're doing when we relaunch is we're encouraging people to go to other restaurants and eat, and if they do, and they fill out a survey, we're creating a little survey monkey on the phone. Uh, and if they, if they go and eat and present the receipt with the survey and make a presentation of pre-shift, we'll pay for their dinner. And I'm excited about that because sure, once you get them in your own restaurant, that's the most important thing. But I think getting their feedback and perspective about their dining experiences in other restaurants is is as important as anything so you know it's really funny we have we uh, i have a a, a a rule it's just it's called the non-discussion for two blocks when you go out to eat at another restaurant <laughs> you and i have talked about yeah, this you gotta you wait. say anything positive negative because you don't know who's around you right like oh yeah the classic the mistake and then talk there because you know as a young cook you're like oh man i can't believe they did it like that they have no idea who's standing around you. Oh, and, and then, the facial expressions are the best. Oh, yeah. I, then, I'm then always corrected. The chef gets the phone call. By the way, your staff is in, my, is in the parking lot waiting for the car talking shit about the restaurant. And my staff heard them. Like, no shit, man. Like, I'm, I always, if I'm, I'm eating with, with friends or something and we're not enjoying something and they're starting to make faces and stuff. I'm like, guys, first of all, people are looking at you and they're looking over here because I'm here. And so don't fucking embarrass me by, you know, blatantly disrespecting the food that you're eating in this guy's restaurant. Let's, let's go to the bar and do that. In another restaurant. In another, in another place. But yeah, we call it the two block rule. Don't you can't say anything. All right. two blocks. Stealing the two block rule. It's, Noted. It's a, Post I mean, that's note. what I've, I've always done. Does it always work? No. It doesn't always work. You can only mitigate, you know, you can just minimize the collateral. Minimize the damage, exactly. <laughs> so opening date expectation, we won't put one number on that because we know, as we all know, construction is a moving target, but I can't wait to be there. Yeah, so we're hoping, you know, soon. Like, you know, it's, it's uh, early November now. We're hoping for the end of November. It'll be a four month renovation, massive uh, amount of work to do in that time. So the construction team, the design team, the kitchen team, uh, equipment and, and design are killing it uh, up against all kinds of unforeseen friggin' issues. Um, and, you know, but the, the truth, so, you know, Thanksgiving week rolls right into Art Basel and it's the kickoff basically of our season. Art Basel week, uh, is typically by far the busiest week of the year for us, especially a genuine, which is sort of the epicenter of design. And so it's easily double volume and double revenue from even a busy week. Um, and, you know, our goal is to try to be open for that week, but we're not going to push it. And if we're able to be open and we feel like we're not 
you know, 100% up to speed, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll uh, control the book and control the flow and just ease into it. I mean, it's, you know, we want that revenue, we want the business, we're obviously bleeding, four months, huge payroll, construction, um, but, you know, it's a long-term proposition. So we're not rushing to the finish line to, to milk it for a year. We're going to be there for at least another 10 years. And, uh, and then I'll be, uh, you know, like 90 by then. And, uh, you know, hopefully. Um, so does that mean, so that at that point, I'll come down to Sobe and I'll push you in the wheelchair and we'll. Yeah, exactly. It'll That'll be, be like a whole jackass skit of you and I. It'll be like old time Miami. We'll sit on the porch and we'll have the oxygen machines next to us. And we'll be are you coming for this year or no? I don't know. I don't know. I tried, dude. I tried. They're like, you're not cooking with Chris Cosentino again. <laughs> I'll push up Ryan. Hopefully, I'll, I'll I'll make the push. It would be. I I think they just tired of our shenanigans <laughs> i don't think so i think it adds it adds such a great uh element and uh if you come you got to bring jeremy for sure oh yeah so for those of you out there who haven't seen every year well it all started many years ago when i started with the miami vice only photos on instagram mm -hmm. uh, epic. epic uh caused a stir was told not to come back for a couple of years then was invited back um, thankfully. And Michael and I did a Miami Vice themed dinner, which was, which was hysterical and fun and delicious. Yeah. You even brought me a blazer. I brought because... him a blazer and a low cut. We had the V-necks, we had the full, but it was, it was full on. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of fun. We always have a good time, but yeah, you, you, I think with those kind of events that you just, you have to push the envelope and have a lot of fun with it. Like, and we have- Well, so you're good at that. You are yeah. definitely a disruptive uh, force when it comes to events and menus and, you know, I mean, I, but that's, you know, that's, that's what makes you who you are. It's, okay, so are what was that Cubano shop we went to? Because that place was killer. Oh, Sanguich. Oh my Sanguich. God. Ocho, yeah, they do it right, you know, and th that's what I'm saying. Like that guy opened that store. Sure, he's thinking about scaling that right now, but he did it right for for many years and just did the work, you know. And uh, it's like the best, you know, sandwich shop, and it's super simple. They make everything. They care. They're there all the time. There was a Sanguine. line out the door, like yeah, literally, like sign up sheet. There was a good 25, 30 people waiting outside for. How many seats was in there if they were lucky? Yeah, 20 maybe. I don't know. 20? I mean, that place was killer. Super fun. And that's like, you know, I'm always eyes wide open when I get down there because you always take me to a spot that I would have never thought. Like, where Well, you know, it's interesting too because, you know, I don't do that enough. But I know when you're coming, you're going to be like, we're not coming to some fucking douchey, like, you know, club strand. I want, you know, the, I want the flavor. So, you know, and I talk to my girlfriend about this all the time. Like, there's a lot of those places that we need to do a better job discovering, supporting, nurturing, uh, and, and celebrating. Because that's the kind of stuff that makes Miami cool, right? And, and not the club strands. No names to be mentioned. But, you know, it's interesting <laughs> now. Like, this, this, is, we, this, is a, this is a wave of New York and out-of-town operators in this town that we haven't seen the likes of maybe ever you know every every few years there's a cycle right where like out of town operators come mobilize open shit all over everything miami and then close some of them stay but this year we're seeing an influx like we've never seen before and it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out um, I think it's fine. It helps Miami, uh, you know, puts a little bit more attention on the national and international spotlight, but um, it's been an interesting and I won't get into it because I'll get in trouble. We'll talk offline about some of the operators that have popped up. Um, but, you know, I mean, when you go to a, a new city to open a restaurant, I know what you do because it's what I do. You reach out to the operators there and the community and you make friends and you don't say stupid shit and you don't, shit on other restaurants and and uh some people just didn't learn didn't get that memo 
So it's uh, it's interesting. Lots of options. Well, that was an all points bulletin put out to everybody in the beginning. What happened to that one? Did it get? It's like it's kind of like you would think that that's right next to wash your hands after you use the bathroom. It's open restaurant in Newtown. Be become part of the community. Don't <laughs> yeah. Be humble. Be yeah. humble. You know, I mean, it should should be part of the the golden rule anyway. You know, it's how we live our lives and. It's how we do business, and but anyway, but not everyone does business that way. So we'll see. Interesting. All not right, gonna take you to those places. Let's go to the fun places. All right, you got. You want to play the game? It's fast. What is it? No wrong answers. You Brett. didn't tell me to. Oh, it's a fun game. Don't worry about. It. Okay. You're nervous though. See, that's how you could tell Michael knows me. He's like, "What's the game?" <laughs> I know what the fucking game is. Let's play the game. All right, ready? Red, yes. or red or white wine? White. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay, for you, it's different. If I say coffee to everybody else, it's, is, it a, is it a drip or is it a cappuccino? But for you, you have <laughs> an option down there that's totally unique. So oh, no, it's a, for me, it's espresso, not Cuban, no sugar. Don't fucking put shit in my coffee. Coffee, <laughs> espresso. In fact, to me, like drip coffee, usually I don't if if it's like I won't even drink it. It's espresso. Okay. Nigiri <laughs> sashimi. Can I just say one thing? What? Can we can we take a timeout? Yeah. Because all of these questions are super subjective. Right. Like I love I say there's no wrong answer. It's just like, well, I love red like wine, more. but I live in Miami. And if, and if I drink red wine, it's got to be chilled, especially in Miami. Right. And so I love nigiri and I love sashimi. If I had to pick one, it would probably be nigiri. There's trust me. There's uh, you should hear some of the answers. They're fun. Like everybody's it's super subjective and it's just what it is. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cubano Philly cheesesteak. Philly cheesesteak, man. Oh, take, wow. Take the boy out of Philly, but you can't take the Philly out of the boy. <laughs> I mean, I hamburger. like a good Cuban sandwich, but. Hamburger, hot dog. Hamburger. Ketchup, mustard. Ketchup. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. You put, you put ketchup on a hot dog? No. Okay, good. Never. Put ketchup on a hamburger? No. Mustard. Mm. I'm a mustard. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. I'm a mustard guy. I actually griddle the mustard on the burger sometimes when I do flat. Yeah, that doesn't, doesn't count. That's like a sauce. Like I always use Dijon or whole grain or I mix them both. All right. Same thing on encased meats, hot dogs, sausages, everything gets mustard, no ketchup. Oh, I got to tell you, I've been thinking about you too. I, I started a little charcuterie program in my apartment and uh, I've been having a blast. I converted a, a refrigerator. And uh, I've been turning out some pretty good stuff, man. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. It's a Are science. You some of Michael's no, I, at, the new, at the new Genuine? Yeah, we'll use it there. But, you know, and maybe we'll, we'll do a program there. But it's so jumping through hoops with HACCP and all that bullshit. But if I make it at home, it's fine. But, you know, my girlfriend doesn't eat pork. Uh, and so she's like, it's like a friggin' when I'm in production, you know, and I'm fermenting the shit before it goes in the cabinet and she's like get me out of here man <laughs> very porky around here right now i got some sausage i got some salamis up there in the loft that are fermenting right so i stuffed them yesterday and i'm i put them under a little tent with a humidifier for like 36 hours to inoculate them before they go in the cabinet yeah yeah it's a little you know it's a little gamey in here smelling like a Smell like a locker room at a football stadium. Right? That was awesome. I mean, I love it. She's revolted by it. but Well, that leads into the next one, beef or pork. So I think we know that answer. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not eating as much pork because she doesn't fucking eat it. It's pissing me off. <laughs> so beef. Beef. Okay. So then, see, I love that. You're, you're, there was the compromise for the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ice cream, sorbet. Ice cream. Chocolate, fruit. Vanilla. What? No, chocolate or fruit. Meaning like, do you like chocolate, chocolate or fruit, fruit? 
Oh. That's a tough one, man. I'll say fruit. It's been a lot more fruit than chocolate. I've been surprised. I mean, chocolate's too pigeonholed. Fruit's like, come on, there's a world. Yeah. Like, do you want one thing or do you want a world of things? I like a world of things. I, I mean, why not, right? It's like giving, giving a painter two, like, black and white and then giving them all the, the primaries and everything just to- That's right. They're like, whoa. Whoa, where'd this all come from? All right. <laughs> yeah, uh, noodles or pasta? I mean, isn't the noodle pasta? Sort of, but meaning like ramen. Noodles. Bun. No, I get you. I, I, I get you. I'm just fucking. You're just, put, you're just pushing buttons. I got that the other day, too. No, I, you know, noodles for me means more interesting flavors, right? Same like the chocolate and fruit thing. Like pasta would be a little bit pigeonholing, where noodles is like the world. Dumplings, ravioli. Dumplings. Burrito, taco. Taco. I like, you know, it's tough. Like, if I'm really hungry, I prefer a burrito. But if I well, want give me body, six tacos. But then, exactly. But then, like, if I'm, like, totally in the mood. But it's, like, for me, it's, like, a burrito I can take with me and go. Like, if I need right. to go somewhere. But, like... Yeah. If I want to go for the gusto, you can do the gamut of of tacos. Like mm. that's my favorite. Going to the truck and be like, "Ucha, Ripa, Langua," you know. And Two of like, What? Well, you're surrounded there. You know, you're lucky. There's probably you probably feel like there's not a lot to be lucky about in San Francisco, but the Mexican food is one thing that you. Can, oh man, it's so yeah. good here. Doesn't exist here. Um, crab or lobster. I mean, you know, crab, stone crab season just started. And I got to tell you, like, so we have a guy. This is, this gets back to like, you know, a stone crab's not a stone crab. We have a guy that we get our crabs from that gets the best crabs. Now they're all out of the same freaking ocean, right? But he pulls the traps, cooks them, brings them the same thing. And I was at Amara last night. And I got crabs and they're like, oh, it'll be a minute. The delivery's just coming. I'm like, yes. Because I know that. And so, and so the interesting, it was the best, they were the best crabs that I've ever had. And I've been eating stone crabs the whole time I've been here. And stone crabs are pretty awesome. But it's funny because like, I could say to a guest last night, hey, the stone crabs are incredible. They, he just brought them. But you know, you can get fish from a fish vendor that just brought it. It doesn't mean it's not sitting in this fucking cooler for a week before you get it. But when this guy brings the crabs, I know that he just cooked them. So I'm gonna go crab because I, you know, I just ate the best stone crab I ever had. You, crab or lobster? Uh, you know, it's tough. You know, I, I live now in Dungeness Crab land, but growing up, right. and growing up, helping lobster you know working you know i was officially known as the master baiter um that kind of ruined all my opportunities for getting dates <laughs> captain introduced me to the, <laughs> to the staff at the but you're party. but you're on the fence though you might might be leaning lobster I it's tough you know because i think lobster has its place i love the tamale i love pulling meat from the head but then you have brown meat that is in dungeness crab too so I love them both, but I think I definitely think there's more versatility and fun with uh, Dungeness crab because it can be used in so many different ways. Right. Uh, I think, but you know, there's all kinds of crab. You know, the blue crab and the stone crab and the Dungeness and the Jonah. And for me, lobsters, it's like main lobster or spiny lobsters, and spiny lobsters don't even fucking count. Have you had spider crab yet? No. So there's, they're now, people are starting to, 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 you know, go for spider crab. You need a ball peen hammer to crack the shell. And then I forgot to mention king crab. I mean, king crab, those are the big boys. Yeah. But yeah, spider crab's amazing. You might be able to get on those easier than I would out here. Where Uh, are they from? I think they're all over the, the Northeast. 
Hmm. But dude, they are incredible. The legs are long like this. Oh, geez. Dude. I'm looking at, I'm looking at a picture right now. If you can get those, Michael, you would have a lot of fun with them. The meat is really cool, really delicious. All right. Well, if I get them, I'm going to have to call you. You're going to have to walk me through it like the tuna collar. It's super, super delicious. As a kid, we used to be scared of them because we would swim in the water and you'd see them and they'd stand up. And you'd... <laughs> No, they're freaking scary, man. They're pretty gnarly looking. They hide yeah. really well. They like attach seaweed to the top of their shell so they look like a rock. They're smart enough to attach the seaweed to it. It's pretty, pretty cool. So, Michael, if people want to see what's going on, pay attention to what you're doing. Um, why don't you shout out the website and, and, and then I'm going to yeah. leave it at the end. So we're in the process of revamping all of our websites uh, and we'll probably have one, the Genuine Hospitality Group website that'll umbrella everything. It's not up yet, but michaelsgenuine.com will link you to everywhere you need to be. And then of course on Instagram and my Instagram, Chef M. Schwartz, um, you know, we're, we're pretty active. I think on social media, the feeds are good. Amara, Harry's Pizzeria, we just opened on Miami Beach, it's killing it. Um, and Harry is working there. He's a pretty good pizza maker. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the Instagram feeds tell the story and make us look like we're all living our best, perfect lives, which, you know, for the most part, we're really all pretty blessed. So. And, and so, so everybody knows Harry is not only throwing pie, but he's also playing in a band. And Oh, man, Harry had they had their first concert last night for Halloween. And uh, he's in three bands. Two of them performed last night and he is killing it. New next level of power and crispness and the bands. Like, he's killing it. I'm proud of that kid. I don't know what he's going to be when he grows up, uh, but uh, he's, uh, he's an amazing drummer, pretty good cook and a sweetheart of a kid. Man. Lucky. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you for taking time. I'm busy. Schedule, you got a lot of balls in the air right now, I know, and uh, I'm super excited to have you. Uh, no, I'm, I'm always, it's great. This is the most we talked, it's great catching up on air so everyone <laughs> could sort of figure out where we're at. Um, but, but no, really thankful for the opportunity. I'm going to head over to Michael's Genuine now, which I still call the job site. But this week it should flip into the restaurant. But uh, nice. I got to make sure everyone's showing up and getting that stuff done but we'll be in touch man i appreciate it it was good talking with you you as well cheers man